Hello and welcome. I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Shiloh Logan. We started Latter-day Contemplation to largely explore and document our journey of study and faith as we seek to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are by no means experts in anything that we're going to be talking about, but what we do have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to live a life of peace for ourselves, our families, and our community. We love that you are here, and we hope that you find value in this discussion to enhance and strengthen your own discipleship of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, here we are. Uh, We're in, what, episode seven now, Shiloh, is that correct? Uh, Seven or eight. I'll have to take a look. Seven or eight, something like that. (laughs) Well, on this one, we decided we were going to talk about prayer. You know, opening up a podcast about prayer, it can be as extensive or as simple as you want it to be. And I think in our discussions ahead of this that we've kind of talked about, let's let's kind of dive into the many different types and ways that we can pray. Because I think for Latter-day Saints, uh, for the most part, we're pretty familiar with the way to pray that most of us use, you know, uh, very formulaic, but also you can customize it, right? You, you just, you take the template and you insert different words, and then all of a sudden you've got a standard LDS prayer. And what we were hoping to do, I think, was to open up the field a little bit of, of understanding and vision so that people could see if the typical template isn't working for them or if they are wanting a slightly different experience or a better experience. Maybe there's some other things to try that will help, um, not necessarily to replace what they currently do, but to augment and, and improve the overall quality of their prayers. And so ahead of this, I sent out to you, and something that we've talked about ahead of time a bit, is this list of different types of prayers. And by no means is this, you know, uh, an exhaustive list. It's just some ideas that I came up with, and I'm not going to bother reading them all, but there's some different styles and ideas of prayer in there that we're going to discuss today. And hopefully um, we can relay some of the ways in which these different prayer modalities have affected us personally and give people kind of a jumping off point for what they can expect if they try or experiment with the word, so to speak. Yeah, when you sent me this list, I was I loved it. I was rather blown away because there are so many different ways of looking at it. And, and you may not want to read it. I'm going to read a little bit of it, if not the whole yeah. thing, because these... You know, I, as I've said before, the prayer for me has been a subject and a part of my discipleship that I've always struggled with. Um, because in the LDS culture and faith, we do talk about that formulaic in the very structured form of prayer where, you know, we're on our knees, we petition Father, you know, we, we use the specific, uh, uh, languages of, you know, thee, thine, thou, thou, thoust. <laughs> so, and, you know, it's the, the gratitude and the supplication and then asking for what we need. And then we close it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's our standard protocol. And then at that point, the only other real prayer that we really talk about is a prayer of the heart. And we may talk about this prayer of the heart of like carrying a prayer in the heart where you're just kind of always in the spirit of being there talking with Heavenly Father. And then if you ever talk about this in church, it's always followed up. But don't let the prayer of the heart supersede or be able to take over the actual formulaic prayer. You got to do that in the morning, afternoon, and evening. And just like you said, there's nothing wrong with this, except that as I struggled in doing this like morning, noon, evening before every meal, 
like you would on a mission, right? I remember, I remember counting the amount of for, you know, absolute and formal prayers I said on a mission in a day. <laughs> And, and, and it's just, it's, it's insane because I, I started to count, you know, you say a prayer when you wake up, you say a prayer before you start your own personal scripture study, you say a prayer before you do your companionship study, you say a prayer for your food, you say a prayer for, for the things you're going to do that day, you say a prayer before you leave. So really before nine o'clock, you've already prayed formally seven or six times, I'm counting. Then as you get to a person's house, you pray before you go in, then you pray with them when they're there, you pray to leave. You pray to where you should go before you go and when you get there. So you are formally praying all the time. And that kind of centering on God is going to have an effect on you. And as I looked back on my mission, I'm like, man, I just don't say my prayers like that. And I started to feel down on myself. And when you sent me this list, I started to recognize again that there are so many different ways of praying and communicating with God. And I've talked about it before, about how I finally came into this Lectio Divina way that you talked to me about. And it was, it's like I ran into a brick wall of just, I can't believe this because in this Catholic contemplative tradition, they've been talking about this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This has been a a standard practice and a topic that they've talked about. But in my belief tradition, this is like brand new stuff. And I started to recognize that I already do this kind of praying. Like this is the kind of praying that's natural for me and that I do. And it completely opened up my way of being so that when you approached me about talking about prayer, at first I was a little nervous. I'm like, ah, and then all of a sudden it came back. No, we pray all the time. And sometimes we just haven't been exposed to different ways that we already pray. And so that's why I really got excited about this episode. Was to go yeah, through, we'll go through these different types of prayer. Yeah, I think that's great. And one of the things that um, you spoke about there on your mission, I think, is something that a lot of people have felt when you're on the mission. And I, I didn't go, so this is all you know, secondhand experience from hearing other people. But essentially, you're so focused in on your goal, which is make a certain number of contacts, teach a certain number of le- lessons, um, get a certain number of baptisms per month, whatever those goals are, as set by the mission that you feel like I'm going to do everything on my part of the the transaction to make sure that God is bound, essentially, to use kind of the LDS terminology, um, that if you're doing what he asks, then the Lord is bound. And so all those blessings that you're praying and working for are going to be realized. And sometimes missions can be frustrating and life can be frustrating because those goals that you are focused on are are not necessarily realized despite how much you pray. And so, you know, you think about this in a non-mission context of someone who has a loved one who's terminally ill or something like that, where they pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and there's no end to their prayers, and they're going all day, and they and they start to feel like all these things that I'm asking for, they're not being fulfilled. All these, this intent of my heart, the goals that I've set, whatever, they're they're not being fulfilled according to this promise that if I do what the Lord says, he's bound. And and so I think where a lot of within the LDS community, where the culture of transactional prayer starts to fall apart is is just on that, is, is where people start to treat it and act as if the transaction is not being honored. And when you open up beyond just the conversation of, oh, you know, our time is not the Lord's time or whatever, well, then you know, then you get into all kinds of theological issues like theodicy about how, you know, why are some prayers answered and others aren't and so forth and so on. 
And I just think that's sort of unfortunate to, to even have to have that conversation when there's this whole other perspective of prayer that isn't um, being utilized. Absolutely. So I'm going down the list here because I, I didn't read some of the list here, but it, Riley, it really is a great list. So let me read some of these. But you started off and you said, you know, there is the standard formulaic impromptu LDS prayer that we're very used to and accustomed to. But in other faith traditions, we have the Our Father prayer. You know, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Often called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there's a prayer of supplication, a prayer of petition, a prayer of intercession on behalf of another. And this is one that I definitely want to go back to. A prayer of thanksgiving. Have we ever just said a prayer of thanksgiving, of gratitude to God? There are unspoken, silent prayers. And sometimes these are just not prayers that are just not uttered or said in our minds, but sometimes these are just prayers that are said without words. They're truly silent, wordless prayers. There's prayers for repentance, for forgiveness, for a change of heart. You put down here, Lectio Divina, and, and this is one I'd love to go back to. Now, mantra prayer, also something you and I talked about before uh, recording here, and that, that would be fun to go back to and talk about what a mantra prayer is, because what I thought it was, and what I had been kind of looking at and practicing for the last few weeks, you had just made mention, it's like, well, it could be that, or it could be something else, so we can talk about that too. A song of prayer, such as hymns and prayer set to music. I know music becomes a type of prayer for so many people. There's contemplative prayers, uh, Eastern Orthodox, Jesus prayers, the, requ the request for intercession from someone past. There's centering prayer, which is a very specific thing. Uh, there's prayers of self-examination and resuscitations of scripture. Now, this is a, this is a fantastic one that I've often... Uh, I've recently rather gotten into that has actually yielded some interesting results as well. Yeah. Um, maybe just to give an example of a totally unorthodox form of prayer is the prayer labyrinth. That It's not actually one that I've practiced. It's it's just one that as I was compiling my list, I was aware of. I haven't had the opportunity to practice. It's not out of a lack of desire. There's a couple of these labyrinths down in uh, the Salt Lake Valley near where I live within 45 minutes or whatever, and I could go to these places and practice this. But essentially, you enter in at the uh, entrance of this, of a physical labyrinth that can be, you know, hedges. It could just be chalk outline on a ground. It can be whatever. Uh, rocks. There's lots of ways that people build these labyrinths. But essentially, you, you go in at the entrance, and as you're walking through this labyrinth, it becomes sort of a a uh, visual metaphor for life. And as you're walking through your life, um, you're contemplating and praying about the different phases of your life or things that are happening in this current phase of your life. And there's, there's only one way uh, to get to the center of the labyrinth. There's only one path. And so you might run into a wall and you turn around and go back the other way. So it's really a nice little metaphor for life. And it helps you to... Um, contextualize that some of the roadblocks you run into are part of it. They're part of the journey and that, uh, you know, you, you take it for what it's worth and then you turn around and you, you enter, uh, in on a different path or, uh, start a different journey. So that's just an example of just an interesting prayer modality that I haven't yet practiced, but I'm, I'm anxious to try is the prayer labyrinth. And they're all over the country. In fact, I did a quick Google search, and there's actually a repository, an index of all the prayer labyrinths 
throughout the United States, and it may go beyond the states and into you know the international arena. But there's thousands of them across the country, and many of them are on private property that that the private property owner will open up to the general public by appointment if you just call them and say, "Hey, I want to try your labyrinth." So just kind of cool, interesting way to look at prayer. Um, I think anything that focuses your mind on on God is ultimately a positive. There's very few, if any, on this list that I would be hesitant or scared to try. And yet I think coming from the LDS tradition, we have a very strict idea of what constitutes prayer. I was listening to a uh, an Instagram message from, message from Elder Holland, whom I love. He's awesome example and teacher. Um, but one of the things he was saying is that, you know, make sure your prayers are vocal. Take time to do a vocal prayer. There's something special about a vocal prayer. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, some of my most powerful prayers have been vocal prayers on my knees, arms folded in the formula, in the template. And I'm not going to deny that there's power in that at all. All I'm saying is, there are many ways to approach it, and there is not one that is just the perfect only way to do it. I think anything that focuses your mind on God and um, moves you in that direction of communion is a net positive. So one of the things I wanted to pay attention to, and you and I had talked about this before, but one of the things that I have naturally done, as I've said before, is the Lectio Divina approach to prayer. And I, I had no idea what this was before we had started to do these podcasts, Riley. And I always go back to it because I still get really excited whenever I think about it. I'm like, that's what I do. But it's this way of being able to to read. And it's often, I read scriptures and so a lot. So when I read my scriptures, it's actually opened up a completely different way for me to come to my scripture reading because a lot of the times we read for the content, for the story, or we're reading to understand the context of where, you know, where the story was written and when it was written and how it was written and the language it was written in. And we want to know the context of how all the story was formed to know the author's point of view. And that's all valuable. Or maybe we're even going down into the principles and the doctrines of the scriptures, which is fantastic as well. But there's this other level of coming to scripture that, that I've just kind of fallen into. I would say by accident, but I don't think it was by accident where you read over a scripture, not for the purpose of maybe even understanding what the scripture is saying, right? Explicitly saying, maybe I'm reading something like Alma 36 and I'm getting into repentance or I'm, I'm reading something about Alma's uh, talks to his sons. And all of a sudden I start thinking about charity, which is not really explicit in those texts, but something starts to come out to me. And so I start to focus and meditate on this concept of charity. And so as I come to this understanding of charity, I may not be reading a scripture about charity, but that's what becomes present for me. And as I think about that, and as I, I, I kind of enter into a meditative process with God about this, this charity, I just sit with it for a little bit and let whatever is present or whatever God wants to have present just come into me. And reveal whatever it's going to reveal. And maybe, and a lot of the times, it's nothing. It doesn't really reveal anything. But I just experience and I find joy in that moment of experience. Sometimes there is a thought that comes in. And from that thought, a lot of the times there is a prompting to get up and to act on it in some small way. There was a, a moment that I had when I had 
one of uh, my little girls. And this is years ago when we first moved to Bakersfield. And we moved into here in December. And we moved from Arkansas. And it was really cold in Arkansas when we moved from Arkansas in December. And when we moved to California and we had a pool in our backyard... They're just a little small pool, but the our kids were so super excited about it. They wanted to go swimming right away. It's December, right? And for the first two weeks, I'm like, no, we're not going swimming. You're not going swimming. And then finally, I got wise to it. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Go swimming. Go do whatever you want to do. Just go jump in the pool if you want to. And they went out and they all jumped in the pool and they jumped right out so fast. I don't even know if they got wet, but it was so cold for them. And over the next few months, I started to notice that my relationship with one of my daughter's started to slip a little bit. And she was, I don't think she was five or six years old, but oh, you know, there started to be some obvious disconnect with her and her siblings and, and her and I, and, and she started to, to become a little bit more argumentative. And I was like, man, something's really wrong here. And I just don't know what to, what's going on with her. And I, you know, sitting down with a five and a six year old and trying to have them explain their feelings is not always an easy thing, but this was an ongoing issue. And so I was reading my scriptures that morning and I was thinking about it and I was doing this, this whole meditation with prayer and I thought about my daughter and I just kept on going over that idea. And I was like, Heavenly Father, I feel like there's a chasm between my daughter and I, and I don't know how to, how to build this so that she feels whole. And as I just kept on meditating over what I was feeling with that from that scripture reading that morning and just being in that moment of prayer with it. I had this impression I needed to go swimming in the pool. And now it's the middle, it's the first of March. It's by no means warm. This, this pool is really frigid cold. And it's early in the morning and before, and I had a, a late work schedule that day, so I could go in in the morning. And I jumped in the pool. And I, I, for, first off, I argued with this voice. I was like, no, I'm not jumping in the pool. And then it came back again. It's like, you need to go swimming. I was like, no, I'm not going swimming. And it's like, you need to go swimming. <laughs> so I'm like, fine. So I get in the pool, I'm swimming. And I'm in there for about 20, 30 minutes by myself. I'm, I am freezing and I'm about ready to get out when my little girl that I've been praying for comes out. And she sits down and she starts talking to me. She puts her feet in and over the next, I know, 20 minutes. So we just talk. And then she says, are you getting out, daddy? And I said, well, I don't know. Are you getting in? And she says, yeah, I'll, I'll get in if you're going to stay in. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so cold. Uh, but I said, yeah, I'll stay in here, fine. And so she, she's like, okay. So she runs in, she puts her swimsuit on, and she jumps in, and we, her lips turn blue, and my lips are blue, and our teeth are chattering, and it's so frigid cold. But we play for each other for like the next hour in the pool, just, just, just having a really fun time. And finally, it came time that I had to go to work, and I, I got out of the pool, and I'm, we're drying off. And she came over and she gave me just this really big, deep hug. And then she looked up at me and she says, thank you, daddy, for playing with me. I've wanted to spend time with you. I just didn't know how to ask. And that just, uh, it hit me really deep. And she went in and immediately that chasm that I felt that had been building for weeks was gone. It had been bridged immediately and everything just melted into that one unity in our relationship. And it was a beautiful thing. I remember kind of looking up at the sky and just thinking that was really fast. That was one of those really fast answers to prayer. And that all came about because of this Lectio Divina, just this reading and meditating and coming to fruition with that, that came into this moment of unity with my family. So yeah, I've loved that Lectio Divina approach to prayer. 
I, I love that story. That's a fantastic story, and it's a perfect example of what Lectio Divina does for people. Um, it's a contextless way of reading the scriptures where you're you're opening yourself up to the spirit. It's extremely spirit focused. And the spirit will take things, you know, wherever he listeth, <laughs> like the wind. <laughs> and and so you have it, it it causes you to be open to that. Um, you know, reading scriptures, it's hard to get out of the habit of at least my habit anyway, of understanding the full context behind everything, understanding the translated word to make sure I'm understanding it properly. So I'm looking back at Greek Bibles and the, you know, the Septuagint or the Hebrew Bible or whatever, and just making sure, Hey, I need to understand this fully. Lectio Divina is not that. And there's a place for that, but it's not Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is just opening yourself up to what the spirit reveals to you while you're in your reading. And you can read a, a single verse you could read it over and over. You could read it one time, whatever. You could read for hours on end until something leaps out at you. But you're allowing the spirit to kind of guide your your reading. And then you know the meditation is whatever it is that that came to you through your reading. And and people have to understand too that the intent that goes into reading God's word is by itself something that opens up communion with God and with the Spirit. And so when you said, you know, I started feeling this connection uh, to the word charity, even though from a content perspective, it's not in the scriptures, it doesn't matter. It's a way for you to open up a channel of communication simply by expressing the intent to commune via reading God's word. Yeah. And so a lot can come out of that that's unexpected. And, and then the next couple steps are once you've kind of thought about and meditated upon the thing that came out to you, to then kind of be explicit about that and directly speak with God and say, what is it I was supposed to learn about this? Are these impressions that came to me, um, are they from you? Are they from somewhere else like you know just have that conversation and get whatever confirmation you need to out of it and possibly some additional light and knowledge and then from there it's it's just application action uh, contemplation observation seeing what that process did for you as you go about your regular day and so for you it was jumping in a pool with your daughter and that's a process of action and contemplation both that you experience. So that's, I love that, um, that particular experience you outlined because it really fits the model well. But again, it's just another model. It's, you know, it's almost no different than the, the template we use right now for prayer. It's a template, but it's one that's different. And so people are going to experience different things when they go into this. One other thing I'll say about Lectio Divina is it's oftentimes the, the initial, um, introduction to mysticism for somebody that is very material um, in terms of their theology, like most LDS are. You know, we, we believe in and pray to a God that has body parts and passions and has um, flesh and bones and is a man like unto us and all this stuff, right? That's a very material way of looking at God. Well, that's in many ways how we approach scripture reading and prayer is, is from that same perspective of that, um, you know, we're reading 
this scripture in a literal sense. We want to understand the context behind it. We want to know the exact words that were said in a certain order have meaning. And so we're, we're constantly, in our study, we're trying to understand the context of what is being told to us. And again, I'll, I'll say it again, I, I have nothing against that. I do it all the time still. But there's also another perspective to look at Scripture from, and that's more the mystical perspective where the Scriptures just come alive within you, sometimes as a result of nothing in the Scripture itself, but just that you're opening your channels of communication open uh, uh, up to uh, God so that He can kind of fill that empty space that you've created. And so it's a it's an introduction to mysticism um, and that can grow and be really fruitful for people if they're, if they're open to it. Yeah, so Riley, I'm interested in, and, and think about this, so I'm interested in when you kind of came about from that standard formulaic prayer, what were the first things that you ended up stumbling onto, or how did you figure out something that uh, that was there for you with prayer? One of the things that you and I were talking about before the recording was this concept of and intercession or on behalf of another, because a lot of our prayers in a formulaic prayer are for and on behalf of another person. And I reiterated, I told you a story that happened to me recently that a common friend of ours happened to be in the hospital with COVID and I had no idea. And it just happened to be that the the night before that my wife had been listening to a podcast from James Finley, who's you know a popular contemplative and and he had talked about how when we typically pray for and on behalf of another person, that we take this implicit approach that somehow before our prayer, God wasn't aware of the suffering of the other person. And so our prayers kind of take on this tone of like, Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm making you aware of this other person. Please bless them as if God's going to be like, oh, I didn't know. Hold on. Let me go check. And God's going to run over there and, t- and check and check it out, right? And how when we just change it a little bit to assume that God already completely knows the suffering of the other person and what's going on and that he's already there, he's always already been there, and that he's as much aware of the situation as anyone else and more intimately so. But what you're doing is that the plea here is as a basically of including yourself into that experience. It's almost like a mourning with those that mourn. It's a way of being able to connect to the divine and petition the divine by assuming that the divine is already there helping. But what we are saying with this intercession prayer on behalf of another is saying, Heavenly Father, I know you are already there. I know that you are already taking care of this into your wisdom and into your love. What I desire is to be a part of this conversation, to be a part of this moment and I pray for and on behalf of this person that my that my spirit, that my entity, that whatever it is that I am, I want to petition for them and to be there with them in this moment as you are there in this moment with them. And so it's like an inclusion into the experience as a, as an opposed to you're awakening God to an acknowledgement that this is there or, you know, as if, you know, you could pay a certain amount of, uh, you know, 30 prayers and then God's going to be able to go over there and heal them, but 29 and, and they're not going to take care of it, Right. But it's in this this transformational way of of becoming one with God in the moment of the suffering of the other that you're praying for. Yeah, and this is another perfect example of something that we hit on all the time is transformation versus transaction. 
um, we almost have to envision God as sitting there with a ledger ready to act, but only um, restrained by our lack of faith and prayers. That, that seems really petty to me that, you know, a blessing might be withheld because not enough prayers have been, you know, uh, sent up to heaven petitioning for this thing to happen. Um, now I'm a big proponent of petitionary prayer. I, I think it's fine. Uh, um, because again, as you mentioned, I've included myself in that petition. I've interjected myself as part of the equation. You know, we implicitly and explicitly, explicitly, we do this all the time within our community. We always say, Lord or God, please let me, or please allow me, or please strengthen me too. We're always doing this anyway. We're injecting ourselves into the prayers and like we need to get, like we need God's permission to do something really good. You know, like, please allow me to go help sister so-and-so. You don't need permission. Just go do it. Um, you know, please strengthen me that I can uh, withstand, you know, something, something, something. We're injecting ourselves into that because we know that much of the strength comes from within. But reminding ourselves that we are struggling with X, Y, Z, whatever, is a powerful way to bring it to the fore. It's kind of like integrating the shadow, you know. And so when when you talk about injecting ourselves into the, the petitionary prayer I always, and and I think Jesus recognized this when he said, I have said ye are gods. I use that phrase so much because it's so applicable to so many situations. But we have godly divine power to make changes within our lives if we will commit to it, if if we have the proper intent to do so. And one of the ways that we um, express that intent is by you know, in a prayer like this, we can say, Hey, I recognize this in myself. And it's part of the repentance process. I recognize this in myself. It's not ideal. I want to change it. Please strengthen me so that I might change it. You know, so we're, we're involving ourselves in the transformational process along with God, recognizing that he can play a powerful role in it, but that we also must be aware of our own shortcomings and play a part in that transformation of ourselves. And the first step is always recognition. And so when it's a petitionary prayer on behalf of someone else, like our mutual friend, for instance, it's not that her family hasn't already prayed enough for her, that God hasn't chosen to open the windows yet, or that, you know, we need more of your board members to be involved in order for me to, you know, let the, let the floodwaters of my blessings rain upon you. That that's just not, I just don't believe that personally. Um, I don't think there is a a ledger up in heaven up in heaven that needs to balance in order for that blessing to be uh, conveyed. Rather, I think it's when someone is mindful and observant enough to recognize those who are in pain or mourning or struggling somehow, and they bring it into their own mind via a petitionary prayer. It causes action to manifest itself within them. They're like, okay, well, I recognize this person is struggling. So what am I going to do about it? And in that sense, we're God's hands. You know, he needs us here to act on his behalf. If we're going to make true changes, you know, amongst ourselves. So injecting ourselves in that process is so much more valuable than just asking him to do it for us. 
I love that. I love that. And, and I did. I think I cut you off before when I'd asked you about the transition. So what transition did you have when you went from saying formulate prayers and what was kind of your process getting I, I don't I don't want to say getting out of that process because yeah. that's not that's not what's going on. But it's expanding to recognize other things that are going on between you and a relationship with God. Well, one of the first things that happened was I recognized even within our Orthodox LDS culture or or practice, I shouldn't say culture, practice, are various forms of prayer already. And some of them are reserved for very specific instances like a like a sacrament prayer. Um, others are formulaic, but less structured, such as what we do in the temple in the true order of prayer. There is the prayer on behalf of another person where we specifically lay our hands on someone's head and offer them a blessing while praying to heaven at the same time. There, there's so many different ways to pray within our own culture, and yet we've somehow got it in our mind that when we're just doing our you know informal daily prayers that we can't involve other modalities or can't express ourselves in any way except via the template on our knees arms crossed eyes closed vocal prayer open this way offer prayer of gratitude then a petition and then close in the name of Jesus Christ that's kind of like the template right and yet there's so many examples within our own theology of prayers not offered in that specific way. And so that was kind of the opening for it, um, especially the true order of prayer. When you think about that, it's such an interesting thing. You're not the conductor, typically, right? There's one conductor. And without going into too much detail, it's call and repeat. You're praying in a group together um, the words of another person, the intent of another person that becomes your own as the group. It's such an interesting concept. Well, if that's the true order of prayer, why don't we do it all the time? Because we don't. I mean, even when we're doing the sacrament, we have an opportunity right there to do the same thing, and very few do. As the sacrament prayers are being read, we could be repeating those in our own mind. Some people do that. I've done that for a long time but I never recognized it as quote-unquote true order of prayer. But it is different because I'm expressing someone else's words and making them my own. So that was the beginning of the transition for me is recognizing that there's already multiple prayer modalities within our faith tradition and that I don't think there's a limit to ways of communing with God as long as they're beneficial. Like, why not? Why, why not try them? And so coming from a Catholic tradition as an adolescent, um, I mean, I, I didn't spend a ton of time in the Catholic Church, maybe a couple of years, where I was attending on a weekly basis. But uh, my that's my family tradition on at least my mom's side. And so I'm, I'm more familiar with a lot of different types of prayers. Uh, one that is utilized every day by faithful Catholics is the the Hail Mary. And that's a petitionary prayer. It's asking someone on the other side of the veil to petition God on your behalf. It's almost like buying some like riding someone else's coattails a little bit. You know, it's the same thing with like 
prayers to uh, petitionary prayer to God via the saints, you know, Saint Christopher, so and so, will you please do this on my behalf or, you know, take my petition to God that this person might be healed or something, right? So that type of petitionary prayer coming from that tradition, I already recognize that. Um, and I don't necessarily utilize that myself anymore, but um, just that my openness to different prayer modalities was always there. It's just that it had to be kind of rebooted. And uh, so that's that's kind of what did it for me. It's just recognizing within our own faith that we already have multiple prayer modalities. And then from there, it was kind of like, okay, where should I start? And I remember one of my first non, non-LDS specific prayer was just to go back to what my mom taught me as, a, you know, maybe a five, six-year-old kid, just saying the Our Father every night, the Pater Noster, the, uh, and, and doing it word for word. And we have this thing in our church where we say, you know, don't don't pray with vain repetition. Um, and I, I remember thinking deeply about that. I'm like, there's nothing vain about these words. Um, they might be repetitive, but it's the vain part that is concerning. It's not that it's repeated. And so if I'm doing this with full purpose of heart and really wanting to open up communion with God, there I don't see anything wrong with repeating word for word the Our Father prayer as outlined specifically by Jesus. And when I did that and started praying the Our Father slowly with intent and really trying to internalize the message that Jesus himself delivered, it became very powerful for me. And it's not something I do every day, but I do it quite often, and it's powerful. So that's just a couple examples, um, and, and I continue to experiment with the word. I take Alma's words um, to heart, and I think that if the word is a seed, I continue to experiment upon the word. And I want to see that seed sprout and continue to grow into its full potential for me in terms of prayer. Yeah, I love that so much. Just to recognize and to see that there are so many ways that we can connect to the divine to be able to expand and to and to flourish and to recognize that we're we are already doing this in so many ways. I personally I believe that just our presence and our existence as children of God that we truly connect with the divine, even when we don't think of it. Even if we don't have a true belief or in a concept in the divine, there is still something that we are tapping into the divine in and of a type of prayer, regardless of what we're doing or not, or if we're conscious of it or not. And I think that's a beautiful recognition because we start to realize that God is so loving and compassionate and proactive and wanting to and wanting to reveal himself that we cannot but help to be able to kind of tap into that and fall into that from time to time even if we're not intending to do it and simply coming into a conscious recognition that others have consciously recognized this have identified it have spoken about it and then have opened up a discussion that we can be like oh I'm already doing this. For me, that that was life-altering. Because in my transition, now when I actually go back to my formulate prayers, to my actual crossing my arm, folding my arms, and, and praying in that way, those are so much more meaningful to me now. Because now I don't suffer from the guilt or the shame of being, uh, of not doing that from, from 
of not doing that morning, noon, and evening. Now I consciously recognize all the times that I am in communion with God so that when I come into that, that moment, it's simply adding to my experience with God as opposed to disregarding everything else that I'm already doing and thinking that's my only modality. Now everything becomes a commun- um, communication with God. And so that, that I can't explain how much that has really transformed that relationship. And, you know, as we, we've talked about the Beatitudes so much, we keep coming back to this concept of emptying and of this, of letting go, because that has been such a powerful thing in my life as well, where sitting in silence and the prayer of silence. And so when you wrote down here, an unspoken silent prayer, I was like, that immediately hit me when I read that. Because it's like, well, yeah, I'll go outside sometimes early in the morning and I'll just sit there. And for me, when I first started to pray in silence and not just not speaking, but prayers that were, that had no words to them, even, even in my own head, right? And you would just sit there in silence. It's almost like a form of meditation, but I started to recognize that a lot of the times when I would meditate, if there were any distractions or any interruptions, I would get frustrated or irritated at them. And over a period of time, I thought this, this can't be beneficial. (laughs) This type of, this type of meditation can't be beneficial. If when distractions come, I'm immediately irritated, like something, (laughs) if I'm trying to practice peace, this peace, I can't just have this moment of Zen and then go off and experience the rest of my life and live a, a fragmented life. There's like my moment of Zen and then there's life, right? I want to make my life peaceful. And so it's like, I couldn't figure this out until finally I was listening to something James Finley had said, and it it all of a sudden clicked because he said, you know, when, when the kids interrupt that moment of silence or when the dog barks or when the cars drive by or the horns, or you hear the sirens going off, that's a part of that meditation too, that all of reality in your moment of silence is a part of your meditation. And the minute I I made that adjustment where I incorporated all of reality into my moment of silence, man, that was powerful for me. Because in that way, if I got interrupted, I was refreshed. I was refreshed because it was like, yeah, that's a part of this too. And so as I got involved in the interruptions, and pretty soon I stopped seeing them as interruptions. I started seeing them as just the natural flow of my meditation and of, of my life. So this whole, the unspoken prayer or a prayer of silence in being there in silence and being open to all things as they happen and all things as they are, it allowed me to live without expectation. It started to decrease the expectation that I put on reality so that when reality happens, it doesn't counteract my expectation because I don't have any expectation that I'm expecting. I just, you're just open to everything that happens. And that all of a sudden took me from having these decompartmentalized moments of prayerful Zen into having that prayer permeate the entirety of my, of my experience of, of life. Yeah. And there's this line from a song that Alison Krauss sings. I don't know if that's her original song, but it's my favorite version regardless. Um, it's called a living prayer. And one of the lines says, take my life and let me be a living prayer, my God to thee. And I, I like that because in in the silent, unspoken prayer of contemplation, you're letting go, as you said. You're you're not 
talking over the top of God's communication with you, you're leaving yourself open for God to communicate with you. We say enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, God, God is the ultimate observer. Trillions of people have lived on this planet and, or, you know, beings galore, and he's seen it all. He's observed all of them, and he knows them all. If God is all-knowing, he knows it all. And so for us to repeat the things that are happening in our day to him, while might be beneficial for us, and he might enjoy hearing from us, it's also a little redundant. And it, we may be talking over the top of what he would like to reveal to us, especially when we don't give any time for listening at the end of a prayer. If, if we just go straight from our Father to Amen, you've missed out on the most important reason for prayer. It's gone. And so the unspoken silent prayer is giving more weight to God's communication with us over our communication to Him. Um, it's, it's letting your empty vessel be filled. Yeah, another reason why I like that, going right on that exact same thought, is that when we allow that that silence and for God to be present, I've been asked a lot in this whole emptying process because a lot of the a lot of the time in my own experience, I've recognized that I project my insecurities onto God as though this is how God feels about me, and then I live into that reality as though now my insecurities constitute reality because I feel that God feels this way about me. And so it's like, how do you get out of that trap? How do you get out of this way of viewing God that's a subconscious projection of your own insecurity or of, of the things that you believe about God that you're taught about from your culture, or maybe your language informs it, or maybe everything around you and maybe even religious narratives and religious culture have you thinking about God in a particular way. You know, I've had my children come up to me from time to time and they said, dad, you said this like three months ago. And I don't even remember saying what it is they, they said I said. And they said, it made me feel like this is what you thought about me. And it would be like super negative. And, and it breaks my heart because I was like, no, that had nothing to do with what I was talking about. And so we'll sit down and we'll talk about it from time to time whenever they bring it up. And I said, no, when I said it, I meant to say it in this way. And this is what I meant to communicate. And if I communicated it another way, I'm, I'm very sorry. But what it's taught me is that there are often times that when reality happens, we interpret reality or that we interpret our heavenly parent as acting in a particular way that we see as vengeful or wrathful or punishing, or we see God in a particular way when that was never God's intent. But yet that's the way we took it, right? And so what I've questioned is how do I begin to see God in a new way when the only context I have is within my own head and my own subconscious, when I can't come to him and you know personally and just really hash it out really fast. And the solution for me initially, and it's been a growing and a more powerful way to do it, is coming to God in the silence where I take out everything that I want to ask. I take out everything that I want to plead for. I take out everything. And I simply assume that God already knows because in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us, I already know. <laughs> he says, 
Yeah, I mean, the Lord literally tells us that God knows everything that you're going to ask before you're asking. He knows everything you need before you're going to ask it. And so in this particular way, coming to God with the intentionality, he knows what we're doing. In coming to him with that intentionality, of uh, he knows what is happening when it's happening. I don't have to simply spell it out for him all the time. And so when I've come to him and I've just been silent in the intentionality of these things, and I've just cleared everything out to the best of my ability, and then just allowed whatever is going to be present and come into mind or into my 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 feeling or into my impressions or whatever it is, it's been powerful what God is able to reveal of himself at those moments. Because all of a sudden, I'm not filling the cup. I'm not filling the conversation with my own ego. I'm putting my ego to the side as best as I can. And God recognizes that effort. And it's been my experience that in that, as I keep on practicing that, he's able to then I, I, you know, I kind of empty my cup out just a little bit and he fills it up just a little bit. And so I'm able to empty it out more and he's able to fill it up a little bit more with, with what he has intended for it. And so that communication that you spoke of, if you're going to say a formulate prayer, awesome. Wait afterwards. If you're going to say the Our Father, awesome. Wait afterwards. If you're going to simply have a moment of total silence, then wait and see what becomes present after you completely wipe the slate clean. Because man, that that's the good stuff with prayer has been my experience. Have you noticed that when you've gone back to your template prayer, the LDS template, that your prayers are shorter and less verbose, less filled with, you know, minutia and whatnot? Oh, absolutely. They they are much more simplistic, and I I, I feel like because when you practice the other ways of praying, the other modalities of praying you begin to take in to effect that God already knows. Like, like, like that kind of reality for you is strengthened. And so your perception is God is already aware of me. He already loves me. He is already fully here present with me. And that becomes your standard operating way of being in coming to the divine, as opposed to God's not here. He's far away. He, he may not even be concerned about this. And it feels like you're talking to an entity that is trillions of light years away, right? That has to, maybe has to go through several messengers to get to him. But the more that I have practiced these other modalities of praying, when I come into that formulaic or the very standard way of, of saying an LDS prayer, it's very simple. It's very short. And for, for me, it's, it just naturally assumes that God's right there already. Well, and I think that's a key point you're making right at the end there. And something that I've tried to make a, a consistent practice is imagining for myself that when I pray to God, that he's literally with me. And if, if I could visualize and feel God right next to me, would I say anything, first of all? And if, if I did, what would I say? Like, I'm not going to go through my day. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Listen, this is what happened today. My son was riding his bike down the street and he wrecked and da da da. Like, that, <laughs> that would not be my conversation with God if he was with me in that moment. And, and so I, I think we almost cheapen prayer a bit by just, you know, telling him things that he already knows ad nauseum. Now, if there's a purpose to it, great. You know, part of that intent is to, 
maybe express to him why you're feeling a certain way, even though he knows it, maybe you need to vocalize it. And that's totally fine. But one thing I've noticed for sure is that my prayers have become way less verbose, like way less. Most of my prayers are one or two lines now. That's it. And then I just be quiet and listen. And after about 10, 20 minutes, I'll just say amen. And that's it. Um, I'm way more interested in what he has to reveal to me than recounting my day. And that's not to judge anyone. I mean, I've obviously done that in the past. I just didn't find a whole lot of value in it after having practiced many of these other ways of praying. Um, and again, <laughs> I don't want to come across as judgy or anything like that. I'm no better than anyone else, but I've just, this is my own personal experiences is that I've become less wordy in my prayers, a lot more contemplative. Uh, I don't feel the need to verbalize everything. And in doing that and in being that way, the prayer in my heart has been able to be carried throughout the day versus five minutes of rambling at night if I don't fall asleep. You know, I think there's an interesting pattern in the disciples that when Jesus comes in third Nephi and they begin to pray in a different way and they didn't repeat themselves in, in vain ways and they were going and they were praying and Jesus comes to them, but they didn't cease praying. I think in a lot of ways, what is happening behind the scenes is that it's been my, my own experience that I almost feel like I have to convince God to care about me as if I have to really put in the penance and the time and the price and the means to be able to have him care about me, to be there or to say something that he takes notice of me. And in that particular way, when I get down to pray, my mind is always racing and it's hard for me to really focus. And it's like, well, if I can't even focus on God, then he's not going to care and focus on me. And so it's this transactional way of looking at God. Whereas through the other modes of praying, I've come into this recognition that God always cares. He's always there. He's always there present. There's always something of God there with us. And by praying in those manners, we are asking, just, just like we talked about with the intercessory prayers, it's not like we're going to pray and all of a sudden God's like, oh yeah, I see that person's uh, sick over there. Yeah, hold on. I'll go over there. I'll take care of it. That's not what's going on. He's already present. He's already there aware of it. And so those kinds of prayers, when we truly recognize that God is there with us, if it is a two-second prayer or if it carries on, it, the need for it changes. We're no longer trying to convince God to care about us. We're no longer trying to convince God that when we tell him about our day that we already know, and he already knows that we know that he knows, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is to come into that relationship of God of saying, Lord, I want to come into this conscious recognition with you. I want to come into this conscious conversation with you, into your presence. I want to be enveloped in this moment with you. And then to see how what transpires from that. And if it takes two sentences, if it takes 10, but it's that recognition that we're now in that presence with him. And as you said, in that silence afterwards, you know, you say 10, 20 minutes. And I love that. At the very end, you're just like, amen. I mean, it's like meditation. It's like ringing the bell of meditation. It's like, it, and that's it. And you move on. And I, I think that's absolutely beautiful. 
Yeah, a lot of times my prayers have nothing in terms of questions or asking anything. A lot of times it's one or two sentences. It's, Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you. And just sometimes I'll leave it right there. I don't necessarily need to do the, like what the hymn says, count my many blessings, name them one by one to God. That might be a good experience for me to do, like make a list on paper of all the many ways I'm blessed or add a hashtag to all the many things I'm thankful for. I think that's not a bad exercise to go through, um, but I don't necessarily think that's transformative in the sense of telling God makes it all that much better. It just, he already knows. If you're grateful for it, express it by all means. Um, if you love him, tell him. Everyone likes to hear that. I'm sure God loves to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to point out two things in the LDS uh, Guide to the Scriptures. And it's these are usually longer you know, explications than just the Bible dictionary or whatever, but I like this, a couple things in here. And, and again, there's some, there's some very transactional stuff in here, and I understand that. Um, but there's a couple things in here that really landed for me. One of them says, A person's thoughts may also be a prayer if they are directed to God. And I think it's in that way that you can have that prayer in your heart at all times. If your mind is open to the things of God, if you're, um, if you're opening yourself up to the Spirit throughout the day in this contemplative modality of prayer, then your thoughts are a prayer. The next thing it says here is we are truly able to pray in Christ's name when our wishes are the wishes of Christ. And so that kind of harkens back to the whole uh, vain repetition or taking his name in vain. Um, when we pray in Christ's name and the wishes are the wishes of Christ as he expressed, for instance, in the Beatitudes, to mourn with those who mourn, you know, to comfort those who are afflicted, to strengthen the feeble knees, lift where we stand, those types of injunctions, then that's that's praying in the name of the Savior, being part of that process. Um, there was another one in here that talked about, it says we are actually commanded to have a prayer in our hearts throughout the day or pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? How do you pray without ceasing? Because no one is going to walk around like a crazy person on the side of the road just vocally praying without ceasing. They're going to get some strange stares from people that walk by. And maybe so be it. Maybe they need to do that. But I actually think this points to the contemplative, silent, unspoken prayer. Having a prayer in your heart throughout the day, praying without ceasing, I think that's a whole lot more listening than speaking. Just my opinion. Yeah, I like that a lot. There really is a lot to be said for this new transformative way of coming to God and to recognizing how much He truly loves us. And I think that may be the number one most transformational thing I've gone through in these prayers, is just in recognizing the different nature of God than I had ever had before. Because I think... 
when I was just doing a more formulaic prayer, I, I felt that God was not pleased with me that he, because I read stories like the brother of Jared, right? Where it says that he was chastised because he wasn't praying to the Lord. And I was like, man, I'm a lot like that. And, and I don't talk to God and God's not pleased with me. But, and that just kind of makes you feel more shameful. So you don't want to pray anymore. Then when I get down on my knees, my day would get running by and, and 20 minutes would pass by and I wouldn't say anything, but my mind would run, would be running a thousand different ways. And I'd be like, man, this isn't even worth it. And I'd get in defeated and roll into bed. And it, it was just a bad experience all the way around. But as we started to do a lot of these other, and I love, and again, I love this list. In fact, I might even just po- we might even just post this list with the, with the show notes. But getting into this and recognizing just how much God loves us, and practicing these different forms and modalities of prayer, has really transformed the way that I've seen God from this transactional God that only loves me when I'm doing these very specific things to where when I assume he always loves me, he's always there with me, he's always there in mercy for me. And so that as I begin to come into these prayers of thanksgiving and of intercession and and I I petition and I supplicate God, that just that shift, just that little shift has brought me into a completely new relationship with the divine. So now when I pray in a a myriad of different ways. Now it's just like coming into a a relationship and into a conversation with with the the best friend that you can ever have. A friend that you know immediately loves you. A a friend that you know immediately is there for you. And it's a type of friendship that is more pure and intimate than anything else you've ever had before. And at that point, there's not even words to be able to express what's going on. Well, we've talked about several different forms of prayer, and we went down this list and kind of went into detail on some of these, but I want to open another uh, thought experiment with our listeners. We know about the spiritual aspects of prayer and how important those are for our spirit. And in LDS theology, we have a very material, a materialist view of what spirit is. Spirit is just matter, right? It's a finer, more pure form of matter, but it's still matter. Um, God did not create the world ex nihilo. He created it out of existing matter, and he organized it, right? So we have this materialist way of viewing the world. Well, let's take that materialist way of viewing prayer, or, or let's look at the materialist view of prayer as another option or modality for expressing ourselves. Now, I mentioned earlier the Bible Dictionary. Here's something from the Bible Dictionary. It says, The attitude of prayer ordinarily, and speaking Old Testament-wise, the attitude of prayer ordinarily was standing, also kneeling, or prostrate. The hands were spread forth to heaven, smiting on the breast, and rending in the garments signified special sorrow. The Lord's attitude in prayer is recorded only once in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knelt, fell on his face, and fell on the ground. How many people have... You know, outside of the LDS template of prayer, of being on your knees with arms folded, eyes closed, head bowed, have you ever stood during a prayer? I think most people have. What about prostrate? I mean, prostrate. That's, that's a prayer that I think a good number of LDS people maybe haven't experienced unless they were in the depths of sorrow or 
uh, desperation, but praying prostrate would mean face to the ground, chest to the ground, hands to the ground. You might start on your knees, you might not, you might just be completely face first, legs straight out on the ground. You ever done that, Shiloh? No, I, I've actually never done that. That'll be an interesting thing to do practice. What about uh, smiting on the breast and rending garments? No, I've never done that either. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've done the smiting on the breast, but only because it was kind of a Catholic tradition, right? So that's, you see Catholics during mass when they're praying personally, sometimes they'll strike their own breast with a fist and it's supposed to signify a special heartfelt communication that you're having. Like when the spirit's really touching you, you'll, you'll smite your breast, you know? Like, wow, I really feel that. It's kind of a physical way to express what's happening spiritually. So keeping in mind again that we have a very materialistic way of seeing our theo- of, of, of uh, a materialist theology. Let me put it that way. Um, that God is material, that everything's created out of material, even spirit itself is material. And these things, these things tend to blend together. So another way of expressing ourselves in prayer might be to use our bodies in a way that expresses whatever emotions we're feeling or um, whatever it is we wish to convey to God. And so in that way, it opens up a whole other avenue. Perhaps dancing could be reflective of a certain kind of prayer. Singing certainly could be a form of prayer, but that's also closely related to a vocal prayer. So that's not as far off, but you ever look at dancing as a form of prayer? So I've thought I've thought about it before but it's not anything that I've ever practiced. Those kinds of those kinds of ways of praying more physically, yeah, that's a completely different way of viewing it than than the than the very reverent uh, silent still calm way that we think about it. Mm-hmm. Now let me point out another thing from the Bible dictionary that I thought was interesting. Making many prayers and that parts in quotes was a part of the corrupt religion of Israel under the later kings and a marked feature of the religion of the Pharisees. That's interesting. That is interesting. Making many prayers was a part of the corrupt religion of Israel under the later kings and a marked feature of the religion of the Pharisees. So it's tough to reconcile sometimes when you think about what we're... The the injunction to us is, you know, we should be praying all the time, prayer in our hearts at all times. So I think that's probably specifically referring to either some of the truly vain, repetitive prayers that are said to be seen of man out on a street corner or, um, you know, prayers that aren't really, that aren't conducive of your intent. You're saying them as, you know, perhaps just a duty. Like, oh, okay, I woke up in the morning. I guess I have to do this. Or I'm going to sleep at night, yeah, and my wife's looking at me. I better get on my knees and pray by my bedside. So, I mean, maybe that's what it's referring to, but um, it's just interesting how, you know, even within our own references, the Bible dictionary, the guide to the scriptures and whatnot, it opens up the possibility of different prayer than what we're used to. Yeah. And so maybe our minds ought to be already beginning to open up and practicing some of these things more 
um, experimentally, I guess. It really has, in my life, had a lot of great benefits. And I, I know a little bit, because I'm not any scholar on on the ancient ways that, that they've been able to interpret prayer or mandate prayer. But in these few ways that we've talked about in the last hour, they've been a way of opening up into the love of God. And there hasn't been any expectation. It's not like you have to use these. It's not as though that these are ways that you have to do it or that you are required to do it or there's an expectation to do it. It For me, I almost like... It was almost as if I needed permission to be able to even explore these as valid options. And after a little while, after I gave myself permission, I looked back after a week or so, and I'm like, man, how silly was that, that I needed to give myself permission to be able to think about praying in silence? (laughs) Like, how how silly was this? And yet, when I sit there in silence... I'm like, it, how, how silly is this, Riley? Because literally the prophets have talked to us about sitting in silence and listening to the revelation that comes from God. I mean, our, we literally talk about this in church, but yet a lot of the times our lessons don't go into this as a literal type of prayer. We talk about prayer and then we talk about listening afterwards. We don't talk about listening as a type of prayer, right? Or as, as in that conversation. And so it's prayer is the beginning and the end with this formulaic gratitude and asking for what we need. And then we learn in the Sermon on the Mount, God already knows what you have in need, but ask him anyway, and then close it. And then sometimes the prayers are like, well, and then wait until you have an answer. But then you have the Our Father, which is a a specific type of prayer. Then you have the sacrament prayers. Then you have all these different, and just like you were talking about, it opens up into all of these different types of prayers that we have. And then once I made that recognition myself, just like you did, it's giving myself permission to then saying, oh, I can look at all this other stuff as a form of prayer as well. And that doesn't negate that standard formulaic prayer and the need for it. And even the need, like you said, Elder Holland says, of expressing it vocally. It just opens up this this ex- world of experiences to us to be able to say, look, if something isn't landing for you specifically on one day, don't give up. Don't live in a world of shame. Don't live in a world where you think you're not good enough and that somehow you failed. If you truly have a desire, plant the seed, let it grow, experiment with a different way of interacting with God and it's been my experience that then when I go back to that standard formulaic prayer, it's so much deeper. And in in your case, it was more simple. In my case, it's more simple as well. And it's so much more meaningful. And the whole thing works together forever. If the benefit there, it just edifies everything else. So I think it might be a good time to wrap it up, but in doing so, I want to give a couple examples for people who are feeling, you know, like when you're a missionary and you're out there serving Shiloh, did you ever have to teach someone how to pray? On my mission? Uh Uh-huh. There were a few times where there were people who didn't know how to pray or who had never prayed before, 
And so the formulaic prayer was a very powerful way to be able to kind of structure and organize how to do that. And there are a few times when you take someone who's never come into prayer before and you give them that structured way of praying that they begin to organize the way that they come to God. And it is so powerful to see someone who's never really come to God, come to God in that way so that they have confidence. It was a beautiful stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've heard many missionaries that, and I've experienced this myself as I've just done kind of local missionary activity where you walk into someone who hasn't been religious in the past and you ask them at the end of a lesson or something, if they'd be interested in saying a prayer and they're saying, I don't know how to do it. And, you know, you give them that example. And whether it's the, you know, the template that we've talked about within the LDS faith or if it's something else, by giving someone an example, sometimes it can put their minds at ease. So what I, what I thought we'd try to do is pick a couple off this list and just kind of outline how it might happen, what, what it might feel like, sound like, look like, and just give people an opportunity to uh, experience it maybe by proxy through us. So does that sound like an okay way to close? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to start by pulling off this Eastern Orthodox Jesus prayer. And I, I picked this one intentionally because it's pretty outside the box for LDS folks. Um, you know, our, our, our uh, template is very specific that we pray to our Father in heaven. Well, this Eastern Orthodox Jesus prayer, um, of course, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they recognize a, a different relationship between Jesus and his father than maybe we do in our theology. But nevertheless, that informs somewhat what they do in prayer. And the Eastern Orthodox uh, Jesus prayer is essentially a petition to Jesus to have mercy on them and a recognition that they are in need of his atonement. And it goes something like this, and there's variants of it, but essentially the elements are Lord Jesus, Son of God, or Son of David, depending on which one you're reading, have mercy upon me, a sinner, or who art a sinner. So there's a couple ways to express it, but it's it's essentially recognizing the role of Jesus as having completed the atonement and as the, the judge, apparently, and uh, petitioning him for forgiveness and mercy, and then again, recognizing your place in this relationship as you know subservient and in need of his mercy so that that's one that orthodox will repeat oftentimes throughout the day and i i've i've practiced this um and it's interesting i, I think i told you before we started recording that in practicing it just to see what it felt like um it felt to me like the prayer was sort of a plow and my mind and my consciousness was kind of a field and this plow was just plowing the field clearing out any weeds and debris so that something could be planted and that's what it felt like and it, it's pretty closely related in at least how it felt to me to that uh, beatitude the first beatitude of poor in spirit emptying out so that's one example and, uh, you know, if you feel uncomfortable with it, don't do it. You know, I mean, there's so many different modalities that you don't have to, not all of them have to work for you. Uh, this one had a surprising effect on me and I liked it. So it's, it's not one I do a lot, but it's one that I've done a few times and it's 
it has an interesting effect and I like it. Um, what's one on the list that you want to highlight? Let's do the intercession. Okay. Prayer of intercession. So what would that look like, feel like, sound like to you, Shiloh? So for me on my side with the prayer of intercession, that has changed as we were talking about earlier into a petition into asking the Lord to be a part of the conversation and the healing process, whether or not it is through comfort or whether or not it is through guidance, but to be a part of God's recognition of the suffering of that person. And that as they go through this, that the Lord recognizes that I'm conscious of this as well. And so for me, it's turned into more of a plea of saying, Father, I know that thou recognizes that this person is suffering and that thou has a plan for him. I, I petition it and I am there. I want to be in this conversation and into this relationship and into what thou has already have going on with this now. But please recognize that I am now conscious of it and that I'm praying for them. I'm intentional for them as well. Mm-hmm. Something of that nature. And my experience in going with that has has been just transformational. So if it were to if it would be me saying a prayer similar to that, I think it would sound very close to that. It'd be something along the lines of Father in heaven, uh I recognize the suffering of so and so. I I know that I can be helpful in that process. Please direct me on how I might intercede on your behalf here on earth to ease the suffering of that person. And as we talked about earlier, by interjecting myself into the equation, I think it creates a unique relationship between you and the Father and the person you're petitioning on behalf of. That's a good one to highlight. I like that. Obviously, we could model an unspoken silent prayer. Ready, set, go. Okay, there we go. (laughs) That one was pretty easy. No, but in all reality, uh, the unspoken silent prayer for me is the most powerful on this entire list. It's sitting in a place of quiet contemplation that is just conducive to the Spirit. So I, I will seek out those places. Uh, whether it's in nature, whether it's in a quiet room in the house, um, whatever it is, the the setting is pretty important for me anyway to be uh, to help be more conducive to what I want to get out of it, which is kind of spiritual communication with the Father. You know, there are some families that I know who have designated certain parts of their home as kind of sacred spots mm. where they're, they're just, they are just set apart to where you go in there as a moment of contemplation and of prayer. And they're not, they're not formal gathering areas. They don't keep them as formal gathering areas. They are just completely reserved for those special places. That's to go in such a good idea. Pray. And I, I've thought about that. I, I love that idea so much. If you have that and have that ability to do that, I know that has been very beneficial to, to some people that I know. In my own silent prayer. My experience with that has been to reserve just, I I have several places around my home that I can go to that become that, that retreat, but I have four kids and we homeschool and kids are active. And so that's one of the reasons I brought up that in that silence, 
my experience with going in and meditating in silence, I can tell everybody to be quiet and my family would respect that and saying, listen, I'm going to go into a, you know, in here to meditate or to, and to pray. And my family would respect that. But I've also wanted to have an experience where if I go into my, my room, for instance, I have a chair in my room. If I sit in the chair in my room and I'm in there in silence and I'm interrupted, that that silence incorporates reality. And that I can, and it's been an interesting thing, Riley, as I've then gone into just going out with my family. I'll go out and I'll experience things with my family. Maybe we'll go up to nature. Maybe we'll just be going to the store uh, for a quick, uh, a quick getaway or something. And I'll practice this prayer of silence while I'm around people to where it's just kind of clearing things out and being present with the world. And it's been kind of an interesting experience of bringing God into focus while I'm out doing things. And so it's just practicing silence while I'm out in the world. So there's a lot of ways to practice this for anyone who wants to do it. Make a space where there's a sacred space that is a formal space if you need to. Pick multiple places. Have a time and have a specific time and a place where maybe your family will allow you that that space to be able to do that. Or practice it to where you are in inclusion with other people. There is no one right way to do it. It is simply whatever you want to be able to practice and work on that brings God into your life. Because my, call it my testimony, call it my experience, call it whatever you will. I know now through this experience just how much God is already present with us. He's always loving us. He's always there with us, guiding us. And we're simply tuning into what is already present there for us. And so however it is that we're doing that, we will come into a new way of being with God that recognizes that. So the last one I want to do, Shiloh, is the one that, you know, I don't know if it's a function of, you know, kind of like a little bit of an anti-Catholic bias from long ago or whatever, but for some reason... You don't hear the Our Father prayed specifically the way Jesus outlined it. And so I want to actually finish with that one. And I want to do it in such a way that the audience, whoever's listening, participates in some way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to act as the voice for this prayer. And I want everyone that's listening to just kind of quiet their mind. If you feel like closing your eyes, close your eyes. And just awaken your faculties to really hear the words and intentionality that Jesus spoke when he uttered this prayer to his apostles or disciples. So this is the Our Father prayer, spoken exactly like it's outlined, at least in the English translation in the scriptures. And I'm going to do it once and then just take a pause for 10 seconds and just be thinking to yourself as you listen to the elements of this prayer and the specific words, what does God want me to hear in this? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Now, I think there's value in that. 
and I don't think there's anything vain about it. You don't need to repeat it. You can do it once if you like, or if you feel like repeating it, repeat it. But I just I feel value in that. In saying those words, in reading them multiple times, and even repeating them. I have no problem doing that. I think as you come to as you become more familiar with different forms of prayer and start to experiment upon the word to practice these forms of prayer in your life, you'll find richness in it and you'll find the ability to commune with God in new and exciting ways. And my prayer for you is that you are able to commune with God in a way that really enriches your life. Shiloh, did you have anything you wanted to close with? I don't. That was amazing. Okay. Well, with that, we will implore you to give some real thought and perhaps practice to these ideas about prayer. We'll see you next time. Latter-day Contemplation. My name is Riley Risto. And I'm Shiloh Logan. Have a great one.